Amen. Hey, good to see all of you and uh, to worship together. And um, there's, uh, you know, last week at Brea, we celebrated eight years total for our whole church, and we had tacos and all that. But um, today we celebrate the whole eight years, but also three years at Irvine. And, um, you know, don't tell everyone from Brea, but, you know, we, we didn't have shave ice last week, but we have it here. Um, and so uh, just keep that between us, all right? Um, and we're, we're just grateful. Uh, if you were here throughout the three years, um, you remember all the wonderful things. And um, driving all the way to um, UCI you know, University Club and um, having our services there and then moving to the hotel and then um, coming here and all the uh, people and, and all the just the wonderful times that we've had. And it goes by so fast. You know, it really doesn't feel like three years. Um, and it goes by so fast. And I did this um, last week as I was kind of prepping and thinking, just looking back. Um, and I, I was looking at pictures and I shared some at um, Brea and I wanted to share a few here. Um, but I was looking through our Facebook page and looking at some of the pictures and um, the events and the highlights and just a few I wanted to share with you. And I'm gonna get out of the way a little bit. And we see here uh, some of the pictures. This is um, last Christmas already when we had our Be Generous. And this is, we had built this house with, um, what is that? The Habitat for Humanity. And we worked on it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wrapped this up on the pole, by the way. And I did such a good job. Um, but I'm gonna move a little bit. But yeah, so we, we did this, we had a wonderful time, built the house, um, a, a big chunk of it, and uh, next one we could see. Um, this was one of the Saturdays we did um, serve the people. We had so many volunteers that came out, and uh, we go every month, and so you could sign up in the back, but that one Christmas, it was overwhelming. We finished the work so fast, because we had so many of us. Next one. And there was a lot of love at our church, you know, um, and uh, engagements and births and next one. This was, um, yeah, and then families grew in, in different ways and we're grateful for them. Um, this is one of the, uh, we, we, our church hosts a pastor's retreat conference each year. And so this was um, uh, one of the highlights that we do as a church for other church pastors. Easter, uh, we had a wonderful time when we got together with our Brea and Irvine campus and had worship together. Um, and really the highlight of Easter is uh, the next picture. We um, were able to give away and celebrate Easter by giving away um, checks uh, for each of these uh, nonprofits in Orange County that we partnered with, all of our six to eight partners. So we, a lot of you dropped off so much uh, material and food and, and then uh, the offering we collected, we divvied it up and gave it to them, and we told them to come, we have stuff for them. It's interesting, two years ago we told them, hey, we have, we collected socks and soap, come and pick it up. But we didn't tell them we actually had some money for them. So they thought they were just getting socks and soap, and then um, they got a check. So they were really excited and grateful. I mean, it wasn't um, a huge amount, but I think we still divvied up about three or 4,000 bucks. Um, so this year when we told them, hey, we have some more stuff for you, they came dressed up and they were like so ready. They went to our first service and they got the stuff. They hung out at the end. Anyway, so um, I'm sure they will be at our Easter service. So this is one of the uh, partners. And next one, uh, this is VBS at Brea, the volunteers that helped out. 
um, crazy bunch there. And then this is us here at Irvine when we had a wonderful time. And um, um, yeah, and then next one. And then they, you know, these kids grow up and our youth group goes to retreat together. Bray and Irvine, they all go together. And you know, at VBS they're cute and then they get to this age and they're, um, you know, they smell and they're loud and, um, but they're so important. Uh, it is such an important time for our church. They come to faith, um, they, they grow, they, they get developed spiritually. And so we had a wonderful youth retreat. I know they loved it, it was a highlight for them. Um, and then this was just recently our um, uh, servant leaders uh, conference, just a little group picture at the end. And so just some highlights and I wanted to kind of look at it together um, with you all and be grateful for what God has done. And I wanted to thank, um, thank God for our church. You know, when we started this, you know, most churches today, when you study churches, they talk a little bit about what we're doing and it's called multi-site and it's very difficult to do. Um, and, and it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of sacrifice in a lot of ways. And so I just wanted to thank, um, you know, our staff uh, that, that just does so much. And so Pastor John and Sergio and Peter, Daniel, Yvette, who does praise. So let's give them a hand. They're around somewhere. Thank you guys so much. Um, yeah, they're actually um, outside working. So wow, uh, that's fantastic. Um, so um, we thank God for them. We want to, and I'm just grateful for all of our CG leaders, all of you who have opened up your homes um, to invite people in to have these times. Are those who worship and lead worship up here? Um, some of the guys uh, are driving up to Brea to practice, and I was just, um, you know, on a Tuesday night, and uh, some of the, some of you guys here, and just want to thank all of you, and all of you who take care of our children and our youth group, and you work with them, and you care for them, uh, you teach them God's word, just wanted to thank God for you, and you make a difference, so let's give those people a hand as well, thank you guys so much. Um, and, uh, you know, today we get together with the kids and uh, we have this time to worship. And as we think about our church, one of the uh, distinguishing features of the Church of Jesus Christ is this idea of being graceful. It, we use the word graceful today where graceful means um, something that's elegant or done well. So often we'll see a, a ballerina who is really good at her thing and we say, boy, that person is graceful. Or a figure skater, you say, wow, that person is so graceful. And it's used in that way. And I wanted to kind of tweak the meaning of that word. I want us to be people who are full of God's grace. Um, and so that kind of, that, that, there's two parts to that. One is we have received a lot from God. Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 is described over and over as full of truth and grace. Grace upon grace, it says. That the grace is given to us. The idea of a free gift. The idea that we don't earn it, that he's given to us freely. So we are recipients of grace. And naturally, as graceful people, as the church of Jesus Christ, we demonstrate grace. We share it in our words. We share it in our lives. We give a much of it away. And this is demonstrated, especially in our forgiveness of the people around us. We demonstrate grace. Now, uh, it's interesting because we get here, we have, uh, um, you know, some that are 
you know, two, three-year-olds to, um, to 30, 40-something-year-olds, right? And we're all here together. But all of us at one time or another have been hurt by someone, maybe have had a, a negative uh, experience, you know, a bad teacher, a, a bully at school, uh, maybe someone at home that was, uh, didn't fulfill their role, um, going to work, and at work, so there's someone there. Sometimes even, even it's someone in the church. And we have all encountered this. And some of it, it's, it's lighter. And some of it, it's really affected us. It's really hurt us. We, and this is, these are the words that's told to us, right, in, in this passage um, that we read. Uh, verse 14, it says this, right? And think of how difficult this is. As you read this, you're going to say, this is so hard to do. Right? This is what it says, right? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now let's pause there. This is in the context of someone who has harmed me, someone who has hurt me. I think this is the hardest thing to do in the Bible. I think there's... A, you know, when, when we read this, there'll be a lot of people, and sometimes I think this way, and maybe a lot of us, that immediately we start justifying things. Well, this, this, this is good theory. This is good concept. This is good for someone that's very spiritual, but I, I couldn't do this. This is so hard. This is not me. This is not my personality. This is not my, how my family was. This is not us. And yet we're called to do this, and we are radically different the culture of the church is countercultural. We are called to be radically different. So our natural instincts is I want to get them back. I want to have revenge. You know, I like watching movies about it. I love about this. This is satisfying. Um, but the church is defined by being graceful people, that we're the ones that actually extend forgiveness. We give second chances. And this is a radical thought. And so if this says, if your initial reaction is, I don't buy into that. That is, so, that is so impossible. That's exactly correct. That's how everyone who first read this believed this. And so we're going to talk about this. What kind of people is he talking about? So in this passage here, he talks about the people who have, um, the type of people we're supposed to forgive. Uh, there's three kind of categories I want to highlight. The first one is, he says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Um, it's a big word. It means someone who is chasing after you. Literally, it means to pursue you. He uses the same word in verse 13, to pursue hospitality. Right? It's the same word, to chase someone down. And they're after you. And it's not just in general, they don't like you, you all, but it's you. So this is very difficult. So the person that personally does not like you, he says, that's category one. The second category we see is a lowly person. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. All right? Lowly meaning... Someone who is literally, the word in the original language means someone who's close to the ground. So someone you look down upon. Someone whose status is not worthy of talking back to you. And you might be the, the teacher, they're the student. You might be the, a, the boss and they're the uh, subordinate. And you say, how dare you talk to me? In this situation as well, that you would associate with the lowly. And the third category is someone who does evil. 
Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. So this is describing someone who does evil. So we have, unfortunately, in the world we live in, all of us have encountered some form of this. Whether it's someone who is, um, you know, a racist or someone who um, at school was just chasing you around, giving you a hard time. Um, Someone at home that should have been there but was not there. Um, Whatever it is. And all of us deal with enemies and we say, how do I deal with them? Do I fight back? Do I beat them up? Um, What am I supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to be grace-filled people. And it's a radical message. And I want to share um, these five qualities of a grace-filled person from this text. And I'm going to kind of run through this. Uh, But really, to understand why I would be doing this, how I can do this when it feels impossible. Should I do this? Right? What does this look like? Um, in this passage, it, it, first of all, it tells us to, to repay no one evil for evil in verse 17. That's the first quality that we don't actually pay him back. We don't do what is evil. Right? No one, it says. Not most people. Not there are some exceptions. It says repay no one evil for evil. No one. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter what they said. Repay no one. And this is one of the radical calls of the Christian faith is that we be disciples of Christ. We follow after him. And you and I would probably agree, hey, oh, you know, giving my money to someone I could do or helping the poor I could do. But this is so hard to do. But he tells us to do this to no one. It becomes... Um, becomes who we are. And what it does is it it kind of affects us. It changes us. It makes us bitter. It makes us cold. It makes us um, never, you know, we, sometimes you hear this, you know, so-and-so has a bad relationship and they say, oh, you know, I'm done. And you hear, and I've heard guys say this often, you know, I'm done with women, right? Like, oh, just one didn't like you, but you're done with 3.5 women, billion women. I'm done. I'm done, man. I give up on women. You know, or, uh, you know, I give up, you know, old people. I just can't stand old people, you know. They're just all grumpy. No old people. I give up on men, right? They're all just jerks. I give up on men. And it, you hear people like that because once they repay it, it becomes who they are. Um, I remember when I was right out of college and I was working full time, and I, one of my coworkers, um, a guy named Robert, um, I remember him vividly because um, he was a friendly guy, talkative guy, but he, would a- he asked me to lend him some money. And he said, hey, Steve, let me borrow some money. And he knew when payday was because we all worked together, so we get our paychecks. It wasn't a lot. And he said, let me, let me borrow like a thousand bucks. And you know, in 1994, a thousand bucks was like, you know, I mean, it was a lot of money then, a lot more than even now. And I said, I, don't, I can't give you a thousand bucks. You know, and so we... It's funny, but he was so good that at the end of it, we kind of negotiated, and I felt bad only lending him 300 bucks. And, and, you know, he was so good. He's like, oh, really? Okay. You know, it's going to really mess up my life, but it's cool. It's cool. You know, just 500, 200, and then we, okay, 300. Okay, I get 200. I'm so sorry, man. I could only give you 300, and I apologized and gave it to him. And, I, and then the next payroll comes around. Two weeks later, I go, oh, hey, by the way, uh, sorry to bother you. But can I have my money back, please, you know? Um, and he's like, I don't have it, man. Can you leave me alone? You know, you don't trust me? No, I trust you. 
But, you know, it, it got to the point. And now I started looking at him different. Like, he would eat something good, and I'm like, dude, you could eat a $10 sandwich? You better, like, you got, new, you got a new shirt, man. Like, where's my 300 And And it would just get like that, and then um, he quit one day. And then he was gone forever with my money, right? And so I was like, I just give up on these Korean-American men. Like, I'm done with them, right? <laughs> Never. Done. But I was so angry for a long time. Like, how dare he? You know, where's my money? You know, with 300, if I, what, what I could do with it now? And he has it. And, um, but learning to let that go, where it started making me an angry, bitter person. Like, oh man, if I find him, right? But then I was like, there's this tension because I was going to start seminary really like in a few months. I'm like, what would I do? But I would go to seminary. Maybe he doesn't need to know and I could scare him. You know, um, a lot of those things. Um, Pay no one back, evil for evil, God says. And he says this for our sake, because it ruins us. It affects us. Um, Graceful people, number two, they do the right thing. We always need to choose to do the right thing. And we always have to think, we don't want to end up doing evil. And so we have to do what is good. It says here, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Do what is honorable. Honorable means beautiful, handsome, excellent, surpassing, right? Uh, So it's interesting, in the original language, and we're going to learn a couple of Greek words here today, right? Uh, The word for uh, honorable is kalos. Everyone say kalos, right? Sounds like a beautiful word, kalos, right? You're like, oh, I know some uh, Greek. And then, but in the same verse, the word evil, it sounds evil. In the original language, you know what it is? It's, it's kakas, right? It's, it sounds evil. It's kakas, right? And when I remember learning that um, it's something bad. And so don't be a kakas, you know, crazy, smelly person. Be a positive person. Be a, always do the right thing. Because the common denominator for us, the changing factor for us, is not that we're just pushovers. No, it's because God is in the equation. So how can I let someone who, who borrowed some money from me or who said something against me or who picked on me when I was little, how can I forgive them? Because God is in the middle of this. God is in my life. And so I could do always, I could always do what is right. Graceful Grace-filled people, thirdly, are peacemakers. That is our goal. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You cannot control the other party. You cannot control the offender. You can't change their minds. You can't, sometimes you are perfectly 100% correct. They are wrong, but they decide to be wrong. It doesn't say change their mind. It just says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Seek peace. You know, Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. And so if you are the third party, that has, you have an opportunity to make peace with two parties, you make peace. It is tempting to join one side. It is tempting to add fuel to the fire and say, oh, man, who said what? Oh, man, if I were you, I wouldn't do this. And No, it's to make peace that we're called to do this. And there are times where you know you have the right to say something, but you know if you say something, it's going to start this thing. And you stay silent. That's the peacemaker. 
You listen to them. It's the peacemaker. Fourthly, is grace-filled people remember our identities, right? We have to remember that I am a child of God. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ before anything else. Um, it says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What's the first word in that verse? Beloved. Paul reminds us who you are. You are people who are loved by God. You are people who are loved by Jesus. This is, you have a new identity. You are different than those at your school, at your work, your neighbors who may not know Jesus. You're different. You're beloved. You are loved by Jesus Christ. You live differently. This is your identity. Right? How we behave affects who we are, right? Um, who we are affects how we behave. Dallas, the late Dallas Willard um, talked about this, and he said this, and there's a quote I want to share. Forgiveness is not a tiny inward act which a discreet effort of will brings forth in response to specific types of occasions. Rather, it is a part or product of an overall orientation of lives of a certain kind, which is there before any occasion or whether or not any occasion ever arises. So what he's saying is forgiveness is who we are. It's not defined by willpower at the moment that something happens. It's already who we are. It's ingrained in us. This is what we do. This is our identity. Our identity is formed by Jesus Christ. And if he is number one to us, what matters to him matters to us. Now, let me just uh, uh, elaborate on this. And I um, heard Tim Keller talking about this as well. Um, and... Uh, where he talks about what are the idols, right? The idols of our heart determine what we are jealous over. So if our idols are um, money, if our idolatry is money, if someone takes my money or makes more money, then I'm jealous or I'm angry at them because my idol is money. I'm more concerned about the money. Or if our idolatry is, uh, if our idol is beauty and someone puts us down about our looks or someone is more younger and better looking um, and more successful and noticed in that way, that makes us angry as well. And so we need to think about this. If Jesus Christ is the center of our lives, what he says matters. Uh, who he is matters more. Right? And lastly, um, our goal in forgiveness, to be a grace-filled person, as a church, is to win the other person. We, we want to see them won over. And the way we win over people is not by force. It's not how other people might do this. But it's through love. It's through demonstrating God's grace. Um, it says in verse 20, and this is about as tangible and uh, uh, practical as it gets. On the, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this goes exactly against what everyone talks about with karma. Oh, karma this. Oh, karma that. And people who may not believe and may, may even be atheists say, oh, gosh, karma, karma is so good. And that's really, it, it ties into our flesh. And the countercultural perspective of the Bible says, no, it's not about that. If they are hungry, I feed them. 
There's no karma, evil for evil, eye for an eye. If they're thirsty, I give them something to drink. And there's an interesting phrase at the end. He says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What, what does this mean? It's kind of a mysterious um, description here. Um, and commentators have some different views on it. But really what I think, um, and what a lot of them kind of point to, is there were writings back, there were old Egyptian writings that described and used the same phrase. You will, you know, heap burning coals on their head. And what people in those days uh, would do, what was very important was fire. Um, you know, a, a, a live coal, a burning coal is very important because they're able to take it back to their house and they can now have fire and they could have warmth, they could cook food. And often what you would do is as someone is leaving your house, let's say you had dinner and they're going to go travel a long ways and you might give them a little bit of bread or something, but you would always want to give them a live hot coal. Because then they can go and now make fire and be warm in their house. So you would give them, and they would have, you know, a, a big jar on their head, um, and they would put it in there, and they would take it. That's the literal picture of it, that I would take this jar, this hot coal over. But that word there is the idea of that's kindness, and by doing something kind to them, and the idea that it being on their head figuratively had the idea that it would change their mind. It would be on their head. It would warm up their head. Right? It would heat up their head. That The kindness would change their mind. And he says now, so you in your love and kindness to someone else, you are to win them over. And you are to now demonstrate God's grace where they say, I want to know what that is. I want to understand God's grace. And isn't that the real win for us? Um, 2006. I close with this uh, illustration. I think it says so. Well, 2006, there was a man, Charles Roberts, um, a mentally ill person. Um, he goes to an Amish community, and he, he shoots the, the kids in this school, right? Um, and it was a horrific act. Shot 10 kids, five little girls that died, right? And he kills himself right after. 2006, this happened. And some of you remember this, right? Charles Roberts. Um, what happened, and if you're familiar with the Amish people, they're kind of a descendant of the Anabaptists. They, they uh, believe in the, you know, in, in the God that we believe. They just are uh, reluctant to kind of go along with all the uh, technology. So they ride buggies and they stay away from technology and things like that. And they, uh, they live in certain parts in Pennsylvania. Um, but what they did um, really shocked the world. Um, the day after, uh, or a couple days after, when there was a funeral service for this uh, murderer, um, they showed up, members of the Amish community showed up. And this really shocked the media and the world, because this was out of, this was, you know, out of our uh, understanding. How can they show up? And they showed up to support the mom of this Charles Roberts. And... Um, Donald Crable, who's a sociologist who studies them, and he, he writes, he wrote a book, Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy. Um, he says this, I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of Amish forgiveness was when members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery. Several families, Amish families, who had buried their own daughters just the day before were in attendance, and they hugged the widow, hugged other members of the killer's family. 
I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of that forgiveness was when they did this, right? And this happened in 2006. Now, in 2013, there was a follow-up article about what had happened after that. And CBS did this whole report, and I was reading on it. They report, they uh, met with the mother, Terry Roberts, the mother of this killer who had killed himself. And they asked about the following days and how difficult it was. And she describes that when she had found out, and he had tendencies and they were, they were afraid that it was him. And when they found out what had happened, that the first thought she had is, I have to just move away from here. I got to get away. I can't live here. The night that it happened, that same night, uh, members of the Amish community came to her in person. And they asked her to stay and be a part of the community. And she says that kept her there. Uh, it was such a radical act of love. It kept her there. And she was so affected and changed and really rocked by what they did. It, it changed everything about her. And now, and this is 2013, one of the things that she does is she goes and she takes care of one of the girls who were badly injured in that horrific day, a girl who is 13 years old, who is in need of 24-hour care. She goes herself and she cares for this little girl. And Donald Crable wraps up that article, um, and he says this. He says, ask God to provide new things in your lives. He said, um, how, how do you deal with forgiveness? And after he had interviewed her, this is what he summed up. Ask God to provide new things in your lives, new things to focus on. That doesn't take the place of what is lost, but it can give us a hope and a future. A hope only made possible by forgiveness. And so we're called to forgive. Gang, we're, we're, we're here, and there are people that are related to us. There are people who are, uh, we haven't seen, but we have held a grudge. We're called to forgive. Because when the, the disciples, when Peter went to Jesus, says, how many times should I forgive those who have sinned against me? Up to seven. You know, the, the law at that time said three times. Three times and you're out. And he went all the way to seven thinking he could impress Jesus. Jesus says, not seven. What does he say? 70 times 7, you ought to forgive. Why? Because we are filled with God's grace. We have been given so much. We have been forgiven so much. We now forgive others. We're here not because we're perfect or better. No, we're here because we've been forgiven much. And I want us to go extend that message to those around us. And when someone hurts us or affects us, Look to the cross, see what he's done for us. That I am a beloved, grace-filled person. And my prayer for us at Crossway, that we would be this kind of church, that the world would look at and say, how do they do that? Why are they so different? That they would understand uh, why we do what we do because of what he did for us. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Help us to understand the depths of your love and how much you gave to us, the grace that we have. Before we complain, before we turn to bitterness, God, help us to look to that. Help us to find our healing 
in you, Jesus Christ. Help us to find our grace in you so we could now demonstrate it to others. We cannot do it without you. We do it because of you and through your power. We pray in Jesus' name.